huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. So so let's talk about money itself. I, I, I have lived... Uh, with money in almost every possible capacity, right? There were times when I didn't have enough of it. There were times where I could print it on demand, literally, literally on demand. It's so easy to make it, okay? And there are times like now where, you know, money shows up more than I need. I mean, my needs are very limited uh, and it's not really my primary target. Like you said, you know, I, I have a very clear target in my life and that target is to make a billion people happy and, you know, expand that into a world in the future where artificial intelligence will enable us to be happy. Uh, and as a result of being who I am, lots of money comes in, right? But I want to go back to the fundamentals mm? and, and again, go back to the question of money. What is money? Mm? Money as an exchange of value, I believe is was true until 1971, until the gold standard, um, you know, uh, was removed by Nixon in the US. And, and the idea that money is an exchange of value, I heard you talk about that, you know, very frequently in, in 2024 is fraud because, you know, there is a lot of value that's being consumed by the government and printing money and the current inflation rates and so on. And in my personal view, I don't know if you agree, I think we're about to hit a very serious economic crisis. Where, where do we stand on this? What's your view on this? Uh, what, what should people know about money that explains to them what's about to happen? So, yeah, I see two questions there. Challenging the old definition of money and what is the future of money, the economy, etc. So the first thing I would say is, Everything that's happening right now in the world around money is normal and predictable and has happened for centuries. The rise and fall of currencies, the rise and fall of reserve currencies. Mm -hmm. You know, some people think, Ray Dalio thinks maybe China will be the next reserve currency. We take it for granted that America is the global superpower. It has the reserve currency. The pound had the reserve, global reserve currency back in the day. And so... The reason we can't see that this is all normal is because we've only lived in a very short amount of time. We haven't experienced the cycles. And this is why the older people, you know, like Ray Dalio's what, must be in his 70s now. He's, when you've seen three cycles like Warren Buffett and Ray Dalio have, or four, you're like, oh, this is predictable. Mm. So everything that is happening is predictable. Now, I believe you get the best experience in life when you dance with the universe, you don't fight with it. <laughs> And dancing with the universe is, this is what it is, and I love it as it is. 
fighting with the universe is, oh, it shouldn't be like this, it's not fair, it's wrong, I need to change it. You can't beat the universe at jujitsu. <laughs> it's going to lock your arm straight out. You're going to tap out immediately. You can't beat the universe. You can beat humans, but you can't beat the universe. So everything that's happening is normal and predictable, including the big recession, the big crash, the big financial, financial crisis. It's just a rise and fall of power, a rise and fall of banks. So I believe a big crash is coming. I've seen house prices drop 23% in my local area. Um, Kim Kiyosaki and Robert Kiyosaki, who I both interviewed recently on my show, believes you know, the banks are bust and many of them are actually, I mean, the banks are trading insolvently. They get to do legally what we can't do. They make it illegal for us to trade insolvently and they can do it legally. Um, and, and, but they think the manifestation of that is coming where the banks are going to go. In some ways, banks going bust would be good because then you wouldn't trust them anymore and you shouldn't trust the banks because people think the banks are there to look after your money. Yes. I mean, that is <laughs> the biggest joke yeah, in history. It is. Yeah. Banks are a profit-making corporation. That's what they are. That, that use your money yes. to make their profits yes. on fractional reserve. Yes. It's simple as that. Yeah, and they can leverage up £10 on the pound, $10 on the dollar. So they've got 10 times leverage on your money. Correct. You've got, nor, you've got minus 10% leverage on your money because it's going down with inflation while they make 10 times leverage on it. So, so hold on, Rob. Let, let me explain this to every, uh, every one of our listeners. So you, you go and take a mortgage from a bank. You think that the bank is helping you to get to, ta- to, uh, to be, you know, to have a home and a, a, ro- a roof on top of your head. So, yeah, in a way, that's one of the outcomes of the transaction. In the process, they enslave you for a lifetime, make, you know, orders of magnitude of profits on your money make you pay for, your, for, for the interest before you pay for the principal. Mm. And in the process, they pause as a customer service organization when in reality, <laughs> what you're actually doing is you're just handing over the, you know, your life yeah. to them for the rest of your life. Mortgage means death pledge. Correct. That's right. the, that's the yeah. etymology of the word. Now, yes, I completely agree, unless you transcend of knowledge and you educate yourself to play the banks at their own game. Correct. So I, I, technically I have 340 mortgages Mm -hmm. because I own 340 property rental units and I make profit on every single one. So I have 340 death pledges. Here's the thing. If there's an issue, the banks have got to chase me. They've got to chase me for nearly a hundred million. So I've got, I've got the control. Whereas if I had a million in the bank, I've got to chase the bank. Correct. So whilst you are correct that the banks, what the banks are good at doing is marketing. So I'm a good marketer. You're a good marketer. So let's transcend judgment. They're just marketing their product. We're all marketing our products. Um, And their product is you. Now, when people understand that you are the product, then you transcend. So what do they want from you? A life pledge of interest and tax. Mm -hmm. So the more they can lend to you, the more they can get interest. And the more control they have on what you earn, the more they can tax, which is why being an entrepreneur is freedom Mm -hmm. because you can save the tax. So yes, getting a mortgage and getting loans and getting a job and paying your taxes first, because when you have a job, you pay your taxes first and you pay yourself last. Mm -hmm. I pay myself first and I pay the revenue last and that's how it should be. But when you learn how the system works, you can play them at their own game, which essentially means invest in assets, Use bank debt to leverage assets. The bank take the risk, you get the reward, and you've reversed the power. 
Yeah, in that in that case, your asset is an income generating asset, not a liability. Yes, there is a very big difference, right? There is. I mean, getting a loan for a conservatory is a liability. Getting a loan for an income producing property is an asset. Correct. So, which basically means, you know, Robert Kawasaki, you interviewed him, you know, recently. The the idea is, if you're invest, if you're taking a mortgage for a property take a mortgage for a property that you can rent out to make more money and with the money that you make rent a place for you to stay mm. right is that is that some kind of example of how you can use the banks in your favor yes so um i have seven cars six supercars and i always have a rule if i'm going to buy another car i want to pay the car with an asset i don't want to buy the car with cash <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> so i have a lamborghini aventador it was a 300,000 pound car. So I put a, um, a reasonable deposit on it, but not a huge deposit on it. And I got a loan from the bank. And let's say the loan is three grand a month. Um, I've got one 42 unit apartment that makes six grand a month. So I can own two Lamborghinis for free. And I've got the asset that I bought for 350,000. We did 800,000 spend on it. It's now so just over 1.2 million in 3.5 million value now. And essentially it gives me two Lamborghinis free. So that's how I look at owning liabilities. I want to own liabilities with income from assets. Because if I own liabilities with my earnings and cash, here's the problem. So if I want to buy a 300,000 Lamborghini, I actually have to earn 600,000 pounds because I have to pay half of it in tax first. <laughs> and then that Lamborghini is going to go down in value. Some, it's actually gone up, but sometimes that will go down. So I need to earn 600 and the Lambo for 300, and it might go down to 150. So it's actually cost me 450 grand. Correct. And then there's the maintenance of, cost me five grand to replace a wing mirror. So there's the maintenance of 30 grand a year, and there's the insurance. So you're, what, 450 grand costs you capital, and then 30, 30 grand a year. I think it costs me about 60 grand a year to r run all my cars. That's a half a million quid it's cost me in a few years. Whereas if I buy an asset for 1.2, in three to five years, it might be worth 1.5. So I've made 300 grand and I got the cars for free. Yeah. And the car that you chose is a car that appreciated in value. So I was lucky with that one, if I'm oh, honest. Even the doors were always going to appreciate. Wow. I mean, uh, it initially went down. I mean, of course, it, yeah. always. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my rule is very, I don't do that anymore, but my rule is very straightforward. Any car that's made less than 500 copies. Uh, yes, um, that is probably will go up. Th that's fifteen years or more is going to go up yeah. endlessly for the rest of humanity. It's quite an interesting one, but I, I, do, I don't. I agree with that. Yeah. I don't. I don't look at that anymore. That's, uh, l l let's try to take that example to our listeners because not everyone's going to buy a, a Lamborghini, right? Uh, could. Uh, but everyone. Could. <laughs> I love you for saying that. <laughs> you know, it's it's quite interesting because I I have to say the the you know the fact of maybe another another rule around money the fact that some people uh buy lamborghinis these are the ones that actually never need to borrow uh to buy on to, to buy a, a supercar at all right so in in my history of my life i mean I, I i live a very simple life now but when uh you know there was a phase in my life where i dreamt of having fancy cars because i couldn't afford them right the day I could afford them, I never dreamt of having them anymore. I was suddenly like, yeah, so I, I, I love, I love old cars. I love restoring them with my own hands and I wish I would never be seen in them. Right. And it's quite an interesting thing because 
the dreams that you get sold that money is capable of giving you are actually not as dreamy when you have the money to get them. So, mm. Somehow it doesn't, you know, nag you anymore to be like, oh, I wish I had what my neighbor has. Because when you can afford to have what your neighbor has, you, you don't care about it that much. It, there is that scarcity that changes a lot of things. When, when you have a feeling of abundance, a lot of things become very unimpressive in, mm. in my mind. Uh, but, but let's take this to a, an example that... Uh, you know, that uh, the average listener would understand, right? So I need to buy a car to go from A and A to B. I also need to buy a place to, uh, or, or maybe mortgage a place to live in. And I have a limited amount of money. What would your advice be? Okay. I'd like to come to that one in a moment mm. because there's a couple of things you said. Um, I think human nature is to desire what we can't have. Correct. <laughs> And then not desire what is too easy to have. Correct. And that's the experience you went through. Yeah. What I would say to everyone, though, who, when they're honest, really does want a nice car and a nice house, at least get to the point where you can afford Correct. it to test Correct. 100%. if you want it or not. 100%. Um, there, there is a very big difference between I'm not going to be, be having it because I can't have it and I'll convince myself otherwise. Yes. Or, you know, getting to a point where you decide I can have anything I want. Yeah. I choose to have a charity uh, effort or I choose yeah. to spend it on my family or I choose whatever. Yes. Yeah. And also there are three types of Lamborghini owners. Mm -hmm. There's the one that can just buy 10 cash. There's the one that can't afford it that's trying to impress everyone. And there's the one that's smart with money and knows how to leverage it and get debt on it and buy an asset to pay for it for nothing. Yeah. I'm that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I can afford it and I could buy it cash, but actually buying a depreciating car cash, even if it's one of the first 500, it can go down before it goes up. Buying a depreciating car for cash is the, the worst use of money. Correct, because that cash even, can actually make you money. Exactly. Yeah. Get your money working for you, don't work for your money. So... <laughs> yeah, say that again. Uh, get your money working for you. Yeah. Don't work for your money. Make so your money. Exp explain this, Rob. This is a very interesting. Sure. So if you work hard and have a, a better than average job, you're still going to get a relatively low wage because of all the tax you're going to pay. Correct. So you're working hard for your money. and it sh what, People need to listen to this. When you work hard, you are working harder for the government than you are for you. Correct. And what you are doing is you are giving your life away to the government. Like you're literally exchanging and selling the ticking down clock of your life, giving it to the government. Because your half of your work is being paid for the government. Well, it's so actually 70%. I was just going to yeah. say, and then the remainder of it, when you buy goods yes. and services, you've all got taxes on. You pay yeah. taxes on them. And even then, if, you, if, you, if some of that money earns money for you, you pay property tax yes. or capital gain tax yes. and so on and so forth. Yes. Yeah. And then so, when you die, you pay 40% of everything you build that's left <laughs> in tax. Yeah. It's a sad I, I, state I had, of affairs. I had, I had a friend of mine who, uh, without mentioning names, who started at Microsoft uh, early on and, uh, you know, just had a lot of stocks and accordingly at a point in time made a lot of money. He, you know, he moved, he, he was European. He never sold a stock and then came to Dubai when he was, uh, you know, in the last three years of his career and sold all the stocks lived in a mansion. I went to visit him the first time and you walk in and at the door, there is a picture of Bill Gates. Next to it, a picture of Sheikh Mohammed, the ruler of Dubai. And it felt like a government office. So I said, what is this? Is this a government office? And he said, he gave me the money and he doubled it. 
simple as that, right? Yeah. And when you really think about it, the idea that being not, nothing illegal, but being clever around your taxes is a massive, massive, you know, game changer. Mm. You can double your income if, you're, yes. if, if, if your income is not taxable, but actually is deployable. Yes. Yes. So explain a bit of that. So people think that their biggest expense is their car, their mortgage, their school fees. Your yeah. biggest expense is tax. Yeah. That's your 100%. biggest expense. Yeah. So now that you know that, you can think, okay, how do I get my expense down? So when you're on a company, the two ways you make more money is generating more revenue and reducing your costs Correct. to increase your net margin. So if you get to the point where you ask your question, how do I get my tax bill down? You're on the right road. Because most people say, well, I've just got to pay it. Yeah. How do I increase my revenue so that what's left is, is enough? Yes. Yeah. So now you're asking yourself, how do I get my tax bill down? There's only one way, and that is to run your own company. Hmm. Because when you have employment, you pay tax last. You pay, sorry. When you, have when you have employment, you pay tax first, and you get what's left. And there is no way to offset, reduce, depreciate the tax. Right. When you own a company, even if it's just a 20 pound one you set up online and it's an online business, like if you do a podcast, you can set up a company and this, for example, everything about being here is an offsettable business expense. The travel, the food, the accommodation that I stayed overnight, the hiring of this new sh studio that, that we're in that I've not used before, it's all offsettable as a business expense. Whereas right. if I didn't run it as a company, I'd have to pay it with tax paid money. So the most simple thing is start a company. You're in control more. You pay tax last. You can offset so many things legally against your tax bill. So you reduce your tax bill, you increase your profit, you have autonomy, you choose how much you draw. That's the way. And, and even if you are employed today and you still need to increase your income, you're, you know, the right answer in light of that is, don't put extra hours in that employment. Don't try to get a second job. Try on the side to build a business that is a small business that is yours and that can actually become your, uh, your not only tax offset, because you can actually offset some of the taxes in that, but also so that that income comes to you in a way that you can control it. You're no longer part of that uh, trap, if you want. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now... I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a champion for entrepreneurs, but I'm not the guy that says anyone is a loser who has a job just over broke, like Robert Kiyosaki does. Mm -hmm. Because if you love what you do and you do what you love, you, you are a, a, a gifted individual and you should be grateful for that. And if that means you're employed, that's okay. But if there's a burning inside you that the tax is unfair and it's too much, and there's a calling mission inside you, and for many years you've said to yourself over and over, I should be doing more, which is most of us, mm -hmm. then. Do the yeah. minimum you can in your job, but still do a good job. A fair job. This, yes, yes, because so this is important. What a lot of people do is do minimum work and expect their boss to pay for them for yeah. that. No, do a good job on a set amount of hours and then start your side hustle. So th this is really important because I, I always was asked that question. The idea is even at my most senior role at, at Google, that role could be played in 12 hours a day or in four hours a day, right? And both ways, I would have delivered the same exact result, okay? One of them may have made me look a lot busier and accordingly, you know, I could get promoted maybe or, you know, get a bonus at the end of the year. Uh, you know, the other basically gave me the time to write books and to do other things 
while delivering 110% of the expectations of my company, being very fair to them so that my employees and my other businesses are fair to me because karma is real. And at the same time, you know, I'm able to deliver to the world a bit of me, okay, that can build other things other than my whole time employment. I, I normally say, if you, if you do your job right, you'll do it in three to four hours a day. If you stop sending emails that just prove that you're alive for the rest of the hours. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, seriously, instead yeah. of sitting to, 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 to do the stuff, to attend the meetings that just prove you're alive, put it in, in useful other things. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the, go ahead. No two tasks have the same time or monetary value. Mm. So I write about this in my book, Life Leverage. And what you've said is, if you focus on the right tasks that have the highest Correct. value to the company, you can do your job in three or four hours a day. Yeah. If you focus on the wrong tasks, most of those are to look good, not to do good, mm-hmm. then you can spend 12 hours a day being very invaluable. Yeah. Which this also links Perceived back... Perceived valuable, but be, being very, very ineffective. Yes. Yeah. And this all, this, these, all, these concepts all link. The courage to be disliked is doing the right job, not the job that looks good. Hmm. And that's true whether you're employed or you run a company or you're in a relationship with a partner. Like my job as a man sometimes upsets my wife, (laughs) but it's my job. Mm-hmm. I remember interviewing David Goggins and he says, sometimes I go to my wife and I say, I've got to go and you've got to let me go. Three months, I've got to go. It's my mission. I've got to go. And like, she doesn't want him to go, but she knows he has to go. Yeah. And if she stops him from going, he's going to escape. He, in the end, he'll escape or she won't like who he becomes. Yeah. Because he stopped his mission. Yeah. To be what she wanted. So yeah, doing what's right and doing what's apparently popular, they're worlds apart. 